Live from Port Haven, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your premier podcast on storytelling for the creator and the consumer. Derailed Trains of Thought. Hi. Hi. Uh, my name is Nick Hayden. And my name is Timothy Deal. Welcome to our, let's see if I can get it right, our Quaz, I, I've already forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. Our 120th episode or... For our Quaz Quincentennial episode, everyone. Awesome. So 125, we're here, we're still kicking. It is 2022 somehow. Woohoo! And how was your Christmas, Tim? Uh, my Christmas was was nice. We uh, yeah, we were able to get together kind of over the course of the weekend here, you know, working around in laws and all that stuff. But yeah, we had a good time. Not enough snow, in yes. my opinion. You might have had more snow up in Michigan. Uh, we got one someday, but then the other days there wasn't a lot. But yeah, we were up in Michigan. We enjoyed the time with the full extended family or tribe at this point. Uh, <laughs> have you uh, have you started uh, filing for tribal uh, privileges yet? No, but I was telling uh, one of the Sunday school the youth we I were doing that we need to start calling ourselves the Haydenites. <laughs> the Haydenites, yes. yeah, that makes that makes sense. <laughs> um, Nicholas, son of Kurt of the Haydenites. <laughs> yes. So we had a great time. It was a it was a well needed two weeks off from school. Mm-hmm. Um, as, a, as a teacher, that's probably, you appreciate those breaks more than ever. Yes, I do. Yes, exactly. And then we had an all-nighter with the youth. We didn't have one last year. So much fun. No, it was it went fine. I it never like looking forward to the all-nighter, but you, it went really well and it was a good time. Good. Good. Cool. So we are back and uh, back for the new year. It's better than ever. Time for new topics and also... Folks, you might have noticed something when you downloaded this on your phone. Ooh, it says 125. Hey, that's right. It's and like, oh, okay. Oh, and something else. And something else. Nick. There's wait. There's more. There's more. There is a new logo for derailed trains of thoughts. That's right. After 11 and a half years, <laughs> we finally updated our logo. Something we've been meaning to do for a long time. Actually, like probably two years. Two years at least. Because I, I remember we had a previous other ideas for it originally. And then 2020 happens. And, uh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like most of the history books are like going to be, and 2020 happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been working on this for a while. The, our new logo was actually illustrated by Dave Holtine, which actually, fun fact, Dave Holtine, I have been familiar with him for a little while because he has done a lot of artwork in the Muppet fan community. Oh, nice. And he actually designed the podcast logo for Matt Vogel which is what inspired me to ask him to do this. And if you're not familiar with Matt Vogel, he is the current performer for Kermit the Frog. So that means we are now one step away from an actual Muppet performer. Nice. Which I'm like kind of... Time to get an interview with him, Tim. (laughs) Well, I suppose we should somehow. Let's see. What's it like to work with Matt? And honestly, Matt does a lot more than just Kermit. He does so many characters right now. No, interview with Matt. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yes. Oh, we could could ask him. Um, (laughs) And, you know, if we had more than 20 listeners, I'm sure he'd, he'd be happy to. So 21? 21. 21. We're done. <laughs> Blackjack. No, I mean, honestly, folks, if, if you think there's more of us out, more of you out there than just 20, then you want us to get Matt Vogel on, say so in the comments. We need to hear from you. Yes. Email us at Daryl. Oh, wait, this is not at the end. But email <laughs> us at DaryllTrains at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you might have another reason to email oh. us in the middle of the program today. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Yes. 
All right, uh, now we're going to go to Story School. So Story School, if you're new, welcome. Hello. I'm Hi. very glad to meet you. Happy New Year. Yes. Story School is where we talk about some aspect of storytelling. Sometimes it's philosophical. Sometimes it's practical. Sometimes it's just commiserating with the inability to come up with an idea. <laughs> um, but today's Story School is going to be talking about nonviolent resolutions to conflicts. Nonviolent endings Ending, of, of your story yeah. in particular, which is a great way to start the year, isn't it? Yes, we always we always like to throw things up, mix them up a little bit. We started this whole podcast with endings, and and we are continuing our strange traditions. And episode one twenty five. So I guess I wanted to start off this conversation because is that Americans, especially in our current superhero infused Star Wars infused fandom oriented entertainment culture, you start talking about why violent endings are used often, why they're popular, and then we'll move from there into, well, what are some other options we might have? I mean, this is certainly a thing with the fascination with action and adventure kind of stories. It's adrenaline. We like we like just being, ooh, it's exciting, and it's physical, and we're beating up. The, and again, we want the good guys to win. Yeah. There's an important part of escapism that personifying your problems, the world's evils in a person, a villain, that exemplifies that. And for a good reason. I mean, we do have, as Christians, we do believe that there is a evil personified known an, as the devil. An enemy. An enemy to defeat. And will be defeated at the end of all things, or the beginning of all things, depending on how you look at it. That's true. So yeah, that's that's reflected in that. But at the same time... Characters and books are nominally representing people, too, and we also have a command to love our enemies. So there's something to be said for being able to end a story. And Again, we're assuming that the story has an antagonist. Some, yes. some stories don't. I guess we'll just start real quick to just say we're not going to be talking about stories that inherently will never have a violent ending. Because like certain family dramas are just going to be lots of talking. Certain mysteries are just... Let's find the clue and arrest the guy. I mean, I guess you can have your family dramas that have your bad guys, like Downton Abbey. Okay. There's there's a few characters that are like, oh, man, they're, that person's terrible. But but you don't kill them to win. No, not they, you just put them in jail. Yeah. Or something. But yeah, that's not really the focus of it. It's I thought it would be interesting to talk about stories that are kind of about some of the adventure things, but wrap things up in kind of a different nonviolent approach. And it's interesting because, for instance, is um, I guess a little spoiler-ish if you've not spoilers if you've not read uh, or not watched uh, No Way Home, for instance, for Spider Man. Oh, sure. At least it's interesting because there's still this big action scene at the end, but technically he's trying to convert, reform all reform his, all these bad guys, all his villains. Yeah, yeah. Since we're talking about endings, it's going to be hard not to talk about spoilers for one thing well, or another. That was the, the first way that I think at least popular American entertainment does the nonviolent ending is sort of a, a mix where you still have the action, mm -hmm. but the action is to convert, to convince someone. Like, I beat you up and like, oh, fine, I'll agree with you. Um, <laughs> and I think No Way Home is actually a pretty good example of this sort of blend. Yeah. Where you have the superhero who doesn't want to kill, doesn't want to hurt, but because the other side does. Yeah. You've got to defend yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the reformation of the antagonist is a pretty popular 
thing for particularly in the postmodern context. So mm-hmm. like say um Moana. Yeah. Um, which they're up against this big force of nature thing, and then they basically have to appease it. And I guess it's not in this case as not a case of where the antagonist really being a villain. I mean I, I mean you could read it that guy. way. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time it was also partly because What's the Rock's character's name? Of that is that Maui? Maui, yeah, yeah. He he did it wrong. He stole something. That's what started this whole mess. And he had to restore. He had to provide restitution, restore it yeah. to appease the nature goddess island thing. That brings up two things. One, it's interesting. A lot of Pixar and some Disney avoid the antagonists mm. by making the main character also the problem. Oh, yeah. Woody's the problem. Joy in Inside Out's the problem. A lot of times, the problem is the main character, and they have to learn themselves yeah that to so it's easy to make a non-violent quote-unquote ending when your issue is not a bad guy but your own misunderstanding stubbornness whatever you know it's interesting ever since you read i didn't even read this book but hearing you talk about the uh what was the book you read about the way the world has changed oh the rise and triumph of the modern self yes i haven't even read this thing but you you've been talking about how like Modern stories rely so much on psychology and that, that not even being a thing necessarily 100, 200 years yeah. ago. Now I see this all over the place. I mean, I think at the time we talked a lot about loss, but yeah. like there's a lot of stories now where, I mean, the whole idea of you've got a flawed hero that's got their own past traumas and things that they're dealing with. It's all over the place. We live in a therapeutic world and now most of the stories are nowadays are just imprinted with it. I mean, honestly, this is sidetracked. No Way Home is scientific therapy for the bad guys. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you have some demon. I'll get out, get rid of it with uh, magic, uh-huh. basically. <laughs> Science magic. Yeah, it's, it, it's a very interesting phenomenon. And that book reinforced the, the, like you said, open your eyes to sort of the, and you haven't even read it. <laughs> yes, I know. It's like, it's, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it struck me in particular because like, I don't know. The whole idea that everything is psychology, you don't even realize it until like all of a sudden someone mentions that and it's like, oh yeah, that is kind of everywhere, isn't it? Which is, again, not necessarily a bad thing, but when it's everything, it's like we're out of whack. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it becomes the whole men without chests thing. Yeah, exactly. But we're We're way off track. Yeah. Different story school, everyone. (laughs) No, but the other thing that you, with the Maui thing, is that I guess one of the best ways you have a nonviolent ending is restoration, hmm. is fixing what's broken. Because sometimes you have the violent one by you want to destroy what's wrong, but you can also fix what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's psych- psychological. Sometimes like, oh, we need to forgive this person or restore this. But sometimes it's just bring something back together that wasn't there. I'm trying to think of a good example offhand. Yeah, I'm blanking. I'm blanking on that specific song. But we, we may come back to it. So like, for instance, this is not quite true, but like How's Moving Castle? Mm-hmm. The end is largely helping Hal be or get catch that star thing. Yeah, you know, re reconstitute, re- reconnect him with his heart. And yeah, there's a lot of subtleties in Hal's Moving Castle that yeah. you can kind of read between the lines and like, what does this mean? And I remember my sister Danielle; she's lived with Hal's Moving Castle so long. Every now and then, when she introduces some someone new, she's like, "Oh yeah." There's a lot of weird stuff, and and I, I have this long understanding of having watched it so many times and how things connect and interlay. That some of that stuff is kind of can get just go way over your head the first viewing. Yeah, you need to re- watch. It's a very layered movie. Yeah, but yeah, it's, in a lot of ways, yeah, that journey is about how kind of reconnecting with part of himself, and then the whole uh, 
background of like there's a war going on it's kind of the side thing that like eventually the the witch or whoever's in charge of that she just kind of gives up it's like oh how got his heart back okay well this is kind of pointless yeah. <laughs> like it's with well, an anticlimactic way to end the one then there's that one prince who apparently had been kidnapped oh yeah turnip head turnip head yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he got reconstituted so it's like okay let's put it into the war now so so i do think you know one way to do a non-violent is you Restore whatever the broken relationship, the broken world, the broken amulet, whatever. Mm-hmm. Another very common one, and again, I guess you could say it's violence or not, is sacrifice. Oh, okay. Which is you lose something or sometimes yourself in order to fix the problem. Okay. For instance, Lord of the Ring does both. You have a giant battle, so it's violent. Mm. But getting rid of the ring is really just sacrifice, a lot of it. Just throwing it away. It's getting rid of it. It's... Mm-hmm. It's more complicated than that because you have Gollum and stuff. But there, I think there's a lot of areas in stories where the fix is by, by, by someone giving someone good giving up so that we don't kill the bad guy. Mm. We kill the good guy in some ways. He sacrifices some way. himself. Sac- yeah, yeah. He becomes a, um, a sacrificial lamb. I yeah, suppose. basically a scapegoat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, in the more biblical sense, mm-hmm. propitiation. <laughs> Weirdly, the one of the first things that comes to mind is the really bad adaptation of the Black Cauldron, okay. uh, <laughs> which where Gurgi throws himself into the cauldron basically is, and that's what kind of destroys the power of this thing. Oh, okay, but the idea is originally he's supposed to die, but it's Disney, so he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure there are better examples. I mean, this is not quite violence, but it is an interesting. Okay, this goes back to restoration. It may not completely. It was never going to be a violent movie to begin with. But you watch this in Wonderful Life. The quote-unquote violent way was you somehow get Potter punished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's not even a thing at the end. Like, Potter just disappears. Like, it yeah. doesn't even matter. Because George Bailey redeeming, refixing, restoring his own view of life makes the antagonist not even matter anymore. Yeah, which is very interesting. I actually came across... I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast before. I actually came across a copy of the script, or at least an older version of the script or something at film school once, and it did have a scene of Potter getting his comeuppance, basically. Oh, interesting. But yeah, it would have cut away from the celebration at the Bailey's house, and that's just not where your emotions are at the moment. Yeah. Like, really, once George gets rescued, who cares about Potter? Yeah, he d- there's there's this famous line, well, for me, in... Um, the Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. This one guy who's a bad guy comes to the Rourke, who's a good guy, and says, what do you think of me? And Rourke says, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. I mean, I guess that's a punishment in a way. Because, And again, because the whole the whole book's about sort of what it means to be self, like selfish. And again, Ayn Rand's philosophy is wonky. Uh-huh. But the fact that the bad guy, his whole worth and meaning was caught up in what other people thought about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that's kind of what you have there is in some ways you disarm the bad guy by making him not even a threat, a th- not even necessary. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's an interesting way to do it where he's, he may or may not be redeemed, but he doesn't have power. He doesn't have power anymore. Yeah. You don't see that a lot, but it's actually a really It's neat when it comes version. up. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Okay. Here's an example I was thinking of earlier today. Free guy. Did you ever see free I guy? I did manage to see it. Okay, well, this will be kind of spoilery, but that's fine. So the the bad guy in that is basically the CEO, the guy who owns this MMORPG that's the characters live in in this this yeah. whole world. And in the end, 
there's this person outside the world who's had this pending lawsuit against him. But in order to save the people in the world, she basically makes this deal with him. She'll end her lawsuit and she'll give him all the profits. She just asks for the code of this thing. And and he agrees to it. So they like on the surface, like they're just kind of, they don't like kill him or anything. They, they just, it's not an obvious win. They make a deal with him and he goes his separate ways. Now he still winds up getting comeuppance because all the situation and his own actions have caused the media to, he gets a lot of bad media press and his new game is a failure because he's cut off all the people who did that had the actual talent. So he does, he still ends in failure, but it's not because of the good guys going, aha, it's, I mean, unless you count what, like what they do throughout the rest of the whole movie, but it's, so yeah, it's just a little bit different. He's he definitely loses power at the, by the end of it. That's a, I guess that's fascinating. Just I, I hadn't thought much about that that idea of that just somehow draining the power for whatever the power is, whether it's sometimes just like oh I don't believe in your lies anymore, sort of thing. Yeah, or sometimes you just have the uh, the heroes manage to turn public opinion against the bad guy, like um, or the antagonist. It seems like I watched a Ducktales episode with uh, Magica. Her name. Uh huh. Um, and uh, she was trying to, I don't remember her name, I only saw it now and then, but she was having dreams, uh, the the one late girl who used to, what's the girl that used to work for Magica? Lena? Lena. We're having these dreams, and basically was trying to convince that she was a horrible person, and then just, it was basically the power of friendship sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, but then, you, you drain the power out, then you don't beat her up, you just... Hmm. Move on. <laughs> and, then, and sometimes it's, you, sometimes you have the classic, like, um, the trick. Since I'm thinking of DuckTales, I'll just think when they, Glumtales, Glomtales, that <laughs> episode. Um, oh, yeah. Is that the one where, like, he has amnesia and so he's actually happier for a while? No, that's, I haven't seen that one. I've heard of it. No, oh, this okay. is one where he gets, like, he decides that Scrooge wins because of family all the time. So he's going to make his own family. Oh, So okay. he gets all the bad guys. But then he loses, basically, just because, like, some trick that I think was... Uh, Lu- which I don't know the one that loves money yeah uh, Louis, Louis I, okay. I, in that series yeah and so again because it wasn't a fight necessarily it was just yeah that's right I forgot about that he basically tricked him into giving him control of the whole yeah I mean it's like it's like the end of Aladdin it's just a trick you know that's that's okay yeah that's an interesting point he doesn't actually beat Jafar as the giant snake he's just like tricks him into so I mean I guess you could still this kind of action scene Aladdin is swinging a sword around but but yes the outsmarting your opponent is definitely a category of mm-hmm. this this sort of thing like say MacGyver for instance yes. who MacGyver has this whole thing about not having guns not liking to use guns so he wants up coming up with these out-of-the-box pseudo-nonviolent things, although I will point out that sometimes it's still just, he's just waiting until the police or someone who does have guns can arrive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically a stick for Doctor Who, too. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. use guns, but I'll smart them, and then and the people die all the time anyways. But, yeah. <laughs> so I guess, what do you think about this, Tim? So we're talking about nonviolence. It seems like it is very hard in a show that has basically a physical antagonist mm-hmm. to have an ending that doesn't have any sort of action scene in this genre yeah, yeah i think it's i think it's pretty difficult but i mean it's clever what people can do especially for like kid shows to kind of balance that to make it interesting without being and having a different flair for it without just utterly defeating the opponent yeah an example of this actually miraculous okay yes um, also known as miraculous ladybug i don't know how much of the conceit you know of this um, but the whole thing with the the main bad guy in the series, Hawk Moth, <laughs> this will sound ridiculous, but bear, bear <laughs> with me. His whole thing is he will corrupt 
some sort of butterfly thing. And he can somehow sense when someone's dealing with very dark emotions, like they're really sad about something or really angry about something. Mm -hmm. And they'll send this, this corrupted butterfly thing that will basically infect them through some objects that they're holding that is related to whatever this current trauma okay. that they're going through. And by doing so, he gives this person superpowers, turns them into a super villain temporarily to basically go after these, the artifacts that give the main superheroes and miraculous ladybug and cat noir, mm -hmm. their superpowers. So ladybug and cat noir then have to figure out, okay, what's the thing holding the little butterfly, which is called an Akuma. What's holding that? Or what was the thing that caused all this to happen? Okay. So the, both they have to figure out not only just how to beat this thing and get the thing away from them or get the kumaized object away from them, yeah. but they also have to figure, but to understand that, they also have to figure out, okay, what may have caused this in the first place? What really upset this person? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a kid's show that has, I mean, they still have lots of running and jumping and punching and kicking and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But each episode, they're also trying to, like, rescue this villain that's been, for lack of a better word, possessed. Possessed, yeah. Uh, of a sort. It's also a redemption story. So it kind of combines two of those things. You know, it's interesting. I think the combination comes up a lot because we like the action. We like the, f because I want to teach fiction writing to, like, middle schoolers. I'll say that the best stories have both a physical resolution and an emotional resolution hmm. you both someone wins but also someone their emotions because you know it's therapeutic you know there, there's mm -hmm. a there's mm -hmm. a tr there's a movement emotionally somewhere sure and so you know i think a lot of these like we have the fight because we like that but then we'll stop and figure out what our differences are right particularly in the in the visual medium especially you, in visual media. we like having the fight i mean Written ones will will play with this a lot. Like manga, will some people will have entire conversations while they're flying Fine, through yeah. midair. <laughs> when I think I think the difficulty too with nonviolence is this: like if you have an actual antagonist, that means there, you have some deep difference between two sides. Mm, yeah, and either they can be reconciled in some way, or they're irreconcilable, and you have to someone's got to win. Yeah. So either you either have to convert someone, or someone's got to win. And it's interesting because um, part of this topic came up of because of a while ago, I read two different articles. One about Miyazaki saying that he liked female protagonists more often because they had more, I don't know, breadth or area in order to find other solutions besides beating each other up. Mm -hmm. You know, make friends, you know, that sort of stuff. And then an interview with Ursula Le Guin saying that when she was writing the some of the... Earthsea series is that she wanted to move away from the sort of what she called sort of like European violent fantasy that Tolkien exemplifies and move towards something more multifaceted. I mean, she, she, I mean, she has her own philosophy and I think she probably is overselling Tolkien at that point. Yeah. But we've already talked about how he can had a, an unusual ending in the whole idea of having to sacrifice. But he, I mean, he is very much in the, in the, realm of you know old english yeah. beowulf that you have these noble deeds and that that war is a noble thing in certain contexts and i think sure. ursula gwen would from the low i know of her would push against that and say no let's there are other ways to deal with mm -hmm. this the problem then is you've got to find a way to convert your main character and i think some of the weaknesses sometimes of miyazaki and he doesn't have many weaknesses sometimes the bad guys just sort of change just randomly uh -huh. Like the Witch of the Wastes, or just like I don't know, I don't remember all the details, but she yeah, kind of well, flips. Yeah, in her case, I w I want to say it's because 
she gets severely injured at the uh, the Queen's Palace That's or true, something. Yeah. And then Hal winds up taking her into his house. So in some ways, that's kind of a rehabilitation thing just from from sheer I mean yes and no she did like cause trouble later on and she didn't really at least from a from a Christian point of view she doesn't seem to make any sort of repentance she just sort of like changes or gives up or, yeah one of these like you've hung around the good guys long enough you kind of grudgingly like them now yeah. so <laughs> I, I enjoy better no face in spirit away hmm. because in some ways it's kind of a sad little thing well and no face is almost so abstract as a form, yeah, it doesn't matter as much about his change of motivations. Well, I just, well, I just have always loved the fact that he he comes up very greedy, consuming, and then at the end he learns to create. Like he's make, he's like weaving, like mm-hmm. he's replaced this give me give me to the productive. It's very yeah, but. Take note, you uh, creators and consumers yeah. listening here. <laughs> exactly, there's a lot of that in Spirit Away. That is a funny thing about Miyazaki. Like take. Princess Mononoke, which is probably Miyazaki's most violent movie. Yes. Like, you've got blood and body parts and things like that going on. It's not a movie for kids. No. But the ending of that does involve the whole restoration thing again. Mm-hmm. The the humans had attacked this spirit god thing, shot off its head. They returned the head. <laughs> the, the thing calmed down and stopped destroying the countryside. And I think the, I think probably the restoration is the most powerful of the... I mean, the tricking's fun. Yeah, but the restoration is really, or the or the rehabilitation, which is really hard. A lot of times it'll happen with varying level of convincingness, where you have your bad person, but like the good person is like their daughter or their son or some family relations. It's like I know there's good, in, you know. Yeah, I mean, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. Sure. Yeah. With there's that that comes over and over again. Sometimes it really works, and sometimes it's like uh, I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. The thing is the tricking. It's nonviolent technically, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes it's still like just helping someone else win or still, helping helping the good guys win rather than the rehabilitation I thing. I guess it's still this. It's still a power struggle. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, violence is just a power struggle, and tricking is another power struggle. Rehabilitation and reformation are both fundamental changes to the power balance. And I guess in the Miyazaki's examples we've been talking about, it's this slow reformation over time of like we have kind of taken you in and rehabilitated you because we've been hanging out with you for a while and we've been showing kindness to you and all Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff and then other cases it's somehow the hero just gets through to the other person of like no look this is where you're wrong and let me help you get back on the right path and they they finally at some point realize it and it's written well it's really good yeah and it's written cheaply you're like okay fine i knew that was going to (laughs) happen i mean i guess with uh since we were talking about spider-man earlier with no way home it's almost more of a they just takes away their powers and they're better yeah which is a little odd but it, it, it works emotionally because every movie works in some ways as multiverse things because it has previous movie history related yeah. to it <laughs> and i think but, of, of those villains i think i feel like i don't know doc ock was the best yeah most convincing for me i mean so was i mean osborne to a certain extent but that was a little you got the sense that osborne wanted to be different but he needed like some juice in him <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to get over it but anyway again i know in my own stories a lot of times the bad guys just end up dying yeah. Because that's... that's And to be fair, like, as much as the reformation of the villains are great, it's not true to real life that that always happens. This is one area where sometimes Japanese games or 
anime or media can mm-hmm. get a little frustrating because they do have they do have a lot of respect for their enemies and often for their bad guys and the, they have this whole like well the bad guys have their reasons for doing this but yeah. then sometimes you have some like I've said before Naruto even Kingdom Hearts does this a little bit in Kingdom Hearts three this idea of well we can kind of redeem them them all and like okay no this doesn't happen to every bad guy that every, not every criminal yeah. has a happy ending so let, unfortunately let, let's wrap this with i i want to point out my christian view here because in some ways the real trick is if if violence is basically the fact of irreconcilable differences we believe certain things are good certain things are bad and so like we see that to change someone to, redemption has to be you have to actually change your mind. You can't just say, well, I understand what they're doing. You can't yeah. just say, mm. oh, we're all friends. You have to say, there has to be a legitimate change. Yeah. And again, you have to decide, how does that change happen? Modern culture say, like we said, a lot of therape- therapeutic, mm-hmm. a realization of my past or my friendships or whatever. Christianity would say, well, you got you need the Holy Spirit there. Yeah. Which I'm not going to say it needs to go into all the stories, but then it's a different type of conversion in many ways. It's not a... I remember way back when we were writing Story Project, which is ages ago now. <laughs> For all you who are listening, it was a project we did straight out of college. Pretty much. I was still in college okay. for most of it. Not all of it. But. Basically, all these journal, fake journals that were... It was cool. But I remember one of the main characters, Stuart Lamb, he wrote that half the reason he... He had this whole blog one time about how do people change. Like he want, he, Part of the purpose of watching other people's journals, he's like... I don't know how people change. And I think that's still my question as a story, as a creator, is like, how do you convincingly change a per- a character? There's always things you want them to do, but how do you make it believable? And this is why, mm. at least in some of my stories, I drag things out way too long. <laughs> like uh, Remnant of Dreams, that sometimes it took me so long to figure out how do I get people to change their mind? People are stubborn. Yeah. Well, because as C.S. Lewis has, has said, part of changing is not continuing to go down the same path. Mm-hmm. You have to... S- you have to turn around, realizing you've gone the wrong direction, and turn around and go back. Sometimes that simple matter is there's a lot of pride that stands in people's way of mm-hmm. making that admission that I was wrong, going in the wrong direction. I have to go back. So Christians have both both these endings that are possible in in our stories because on one we believe people can anyone can change. On the other hand, we believe at some point there's an ending time, and some people will refuse to. You know, it's interesting though. It occurred to me while we were talking about this that the biggest source. Well, the source of redemption that Christians believe in is actually a very violent story. Mm, that's true. The story of the cross is extremely violent, mm-hmm. and yet somehow it provided the, a gift of salvation that is free to anyone, and that it is a hundred percent peaceful if you all you have to do is accept it. Which is wild. I mean, it's it's a fascinating paradox. God loves his paradoxes, I think. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I agree. The, the, the violence that brings peace, yeah, the death that brings life, all these things are very hard to wrap your mind around. I think very long, but I think stories inherently reflect these things. That's why sacrifice always works in a, is mm. such a powerful thing in a story mm-hmm. to bring peace. You know, the person dies and both sides stop fighting and like, oh, we're going to be good now. Yeah, because it's, it's a, it's true. It is true. All right. Well, there we went very deep there. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Yes. So there we go. We'll go now on to our first soundtrack. So interesting, just I guess addendum with what we just talked about. 
Uh, the game I decided to pick a soundtrack from this time is called Bastion, which I recently played. Independent game. Um, I think it's relatively old now. But it's interesting, at the very end of this game, it's a game where like you're fighting people, It's there's been a cataclysm. One of these guys you rescued ended up hating you because found out that your people caused the cataclysm. Anyways, so you're going after them to finish the war or whatever. And at the very end, Zolf, the bad guy, his people turn against him and beat him up. And you find him. And then you, you're not given really any choices through the game, but when you get to that last scene, he said, do you take revenge on him or do you pick him up and take him home and try to be friends with him? Hmm. And so I did. I chose the, hey, I don't want to fight thing. Uh-huh. And it's really fascinating because then you're walking down this corridor and there's just all these bad guys. And they start fight. They just start shooting at you and you're just carrying this guy. You're not fighting back or anything. Oh, really? And you have to use your healing things a couple times. And eventually then all the bad guys stop and they just watch you walk. Um, and they're like, and it's sort of this like you're literally making peace between your enemies by them seeing you carry their their leader their leader out, and it really works at the end of this. It somehow huh. the story and everything works really well. So like, it's super cool. Anyway, so I picked the, I picked the this game because it mixed up. Um, the I believe this is a remix of the ending song. This is actually an acapella. Which I song? think is the first, well, almost, actually not quite, because Rules of the Road is technically acapella, <laughs> barbershop quartet. Oh, Rules of the Road. <laughs> um, this is remixed by Andrew McLaurin, David Lane, Dorothy Hayden, Ryan Billington, and Square Law. No one saw you give a thumbs up know, when you I did know, the... I, I know that. <laughs> um, it's called A Kidpella, because they always called the main character Hey Kid. Oh, So it's okay. like a pun on acapella. I hope you enjoy set my sail fly the wind it will take me back to my home sweet home lie on my back clouds are making way for me I'm coming home sweet home I'm here. 
We are back. Hello. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Normally this time, we would put a sponsor. At least we did all last year. You got a lot of interesting sponsors last year, Nick. Yeah, we made bank. Yeah, Invisible Bank. Yeah, because not, not much money at all. Since yeah, since all those people didn't actually exist, they didn't pay us anything. The <sighs> cheapskates. Man, Invisible People do not pay well. No, they don't. All right, but this year we thought we'd do something different in 2022. Ooh. We're going to do something called Once Upon a Sentence. So this is just a quick contest. This is the chance for you to send in your email to derailedtrains at gmail.com, and we'll highlight you next episode. We're going to read a sentence from a classic book, meaning it should be a well-known book, not like some random thing I wrote or, you know, a random Star Wars book or... Something by a French author in 1732. Unless it's famous. Yeah, unless it's um, famous. Uh, but this is hopefully the source sentence. If you've read the book, you'll recognize but it's not so obvious that anyone can get it. Yes. That's our idea. So we're going to read you the sentence. You can instantly know where it's from. You are going to email us, say, I know what it is. Here's what it is. And then we will give you a shout out next time. Sh- exactly. If you if you get the correct answer. Or if we get a whole bunch of these, Nick, maybe we'll have to draw out of a hat or something. Or maybe. We'll see. We'll see how this works. We'll see how this works. Yeah, this is kind of an experiment. So, so here we go. What is our sentence? Nick? Our sentence is... But four babies playing a game can make a play world which licks your real world hollow. Ooh. Let's hear that one more time. But four babies playing a game can make a play world which licks your real world hollow. Okay, folks, what book is that from? One sentence. Good luck. Good luck. Have fun. All right, and now we'll go to our take on Tales. So, Tim, it's January. It is January. Which means it's our annual book club book review. Woohoo! And other things. And other things. If you're new, we have Tim and I and some of our friends have a no pressure book club where we pick books and there's no pressure to read them, which sometimes means they don't get read. <laughs> Except for Nick. You're the only one who's read all of them so far. Although, no, I'm still in the process of one of them. You're still in the process of one of them. Usually, this is in January, this is where we talk about the previous year's books. Yes. But I've got a couple I've caught up on some that i missed from previous years uh, i think i'm going to talk about first real quick that's All right, okay let's do ivy tree i think i talked about this one last year didn't i briefly uh i don't remember when ivy tree was you did talk about it i did okay you, but i don't remember if now if this was a 2020 book or a 2019 but book. you've been you, you have been meaning to read this book for many years yes actually this is one my mom had recommended in high school but now that i finally read it i enjoyed it but i could completely understand why i was not enthralled with it as a teenager yes it's not really a teenager book i don't think so at least not a teenage boy book yes girls might be more into it because so the story of the ivy tree involves this woman who gets recruited basically to impersonate a relation that has disappeared that she happens to look just like yes and so there's a little bit of a i mean i guess you can say there's some caper-esque elements to it but a lot of the dialogue in the story is really about like family estates, who's going to inherit something when the the aging grandfather passes away. And it's very descriptive. It is very which I enjoy yeah. now. Sure. <laughs> sure. But yeah, if you're a, a young boy that just wants to read cool action scenes, this book does not have that. No. Mommy, I remember she at the time she pegged it as like a mystery suspense, and I was like, it's really not a mystery, though. It's more of a, I mean, there is underlying mysteries in it, but it not in nice the traditional twist. sense. And there's, yes, there's a nice twist. And the author does some nice 
holding the wool over your eyes. Mm-hmm. She's very clever that way. So I, I definitely enjoyed the book. Uh, it definitely feels more of a an adult read to me, at least for who I am, uh, than it would have been back then. But uh, yeah, well worth it. The Ivy Tree by Mary Stewart. Yes, very good. I I had no idea what I was getting to when I read it, and I remember thinking, yeah, it was it was really well put together. It was fun. Yeah, indeed. Uh, the other book that I finally finished, Great Expectations, was as good as you expected. <laughs> I think so. Uh, this was actually a book Janelle had nominated. I think this is the first one book Janelle nominated when she joined our club um, back in 2020. Did and you know the play was coming up then, or was that no? That was just serendipitous. Yeah. That was that was just that was just very fortunate because yes, I was in I was actually in Great Expectations as a play. So I got cast in May of last year. So I was like, okay, this is time for me to finally read this thing. And it took me about six months, uh, which is not. Don't say that as a knock against the book. I was also trying to read other things during the summer and write during some of the summer before the play started. And once. Once we were in the thrust of the play, I think I got through about two thirds of it before rehearsals were really in the thick of it. And then at some point I was like, okay, I've already got enough of this story in my life. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't like leave my many hours of rehearsal, then go read more of it. So I actually took a break until the play was done for a while. And I have to say the, sometimes there is a very nice thing about being introduced to a story through an adaptation first. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of glad I was this way. I kind of was this way sometimes in high school. Like, I know some homeschool families wouldn't let their kids watch the movie until they had read the book, which was sometimes I, I, I wanted to read the book Lord of the Rings before I saw the movie. Yeah. But other times, like, seeing a movie would actually inspire me to read the book. I literally picked it up after watching the play. I'm like, why have I not read this book? <laughs> and and again, sometimes it helps because then you have the outline in your head, and so it's not so hard to get going. Right. It's less of the uh, less of a hurdle with the older language and situations and styles of, say, of Dickens. So, yeah, I mean, it was nice. And even before, you know, the rehearsals had gotten to the thick of it, we had done a read-through of the play, so I knew the kind of the abridged version of it from from that, even when I started the book. Yeah, and it's it's just it's a good Dickens story. It's a, it's very good. I I was holding off on it partly too because Summer hates it. <laughs> um, she read it in high school, and I, the more the farther I get into, it, I'm about two thirds through. I just finished the second act. Uh huh. It's literally slid into three ha- three thirds. Mm-hmm. It would be hard for a high school to really enjoy. I think the topics and everything, but man, Dickens is a great writer, great characters. The sort of um, woolly pulls over your eyes about. Havisham and the expectations. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, it's first person, like Ivy Tree. In some ways, it's part of the mystery is, what, is the misinterpretations that the, the first ma- person allows. Yeah, that's true. If you're not familiar with what Great Expectations is, it is a story of a young man named Pip, Pip. who uh, grows up in the blacksmith's forge. But since there's a local lady who has brought him to her mansion to basically show her some lightness because she lives it's a very gothic story in that sense she lives in she is a hundred percent of the time mourning this failed marriage that she had yeah there's her cake still around she's still in her wedding dress she hasn't seen the light of day for years years. and years yeah but anyway that's inspires pip gives him the seed of the wanting to become well that and the girl that's there that's his age estella it inspires him to want to aspire to higher society when he gets that chance he takes it but uh, having great expectations is not all it's cracked up to be yes and then the other thing that i'm really impressed with is how true to life uh, how well dickens knows people mm-hmm. like 
Pip's own, he knows that he's in love with Estella and that it's a bad idea and that he can't help it. Yeah. And he's miserable all the time and he knows his, and I'm like, that is. I think that's a bit, yeah, that would be a reason why this would be a book wasted on high schoolers in a lot of ways. Because for one, I mean, I remember watching a BBC adaptation of it in junior high and not really understanding it because I was like, well, why is it bad that he has great expectations? They they expect me to think that, it, or they're leading me to think that this is a bad thing that he's, you know, wanting to do better for himself. But because, you know, at that age, you're like, you've got your whole life ahead of you. You're yeah. like, I'm going to become someone cool. Yeah. And I know that it's a hundred percent bad thing, but like what Dickens explores is not just how Pip's expectations for himself affect him but also how basically everyone around him mm-hmm. is constantly dealing with trying to impress other people yes. about trying to puff themselves up to be in the inner circle as Lewis yeah. would, I mean would put it demolishes it. this whole aspiring for great things because basically the two people at least right now I respect most is Joe the blacksmith and Wemmick when he's at home uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah who's who, awesome yeah th- this guy who's is a uh, a family man at home and a cutthroat of the office yes so, which is an interesting dichotomy and, and fascinating you don't see this a lot at least i don't see it a lot in the books i read first person but it's old pip is writing about young pip yeah and so it's not the like in the moment like i'm katniss and i feel so just angsty it's old pip saying i was feeling angsty and i should just not <laughs> i was an idiot i was an idiot yeah yeah it's very, very, just very controlled Dickens. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, and I think as as you said, in having finished the book last week, <laughs> yeah, uh, I can I can attest that it also feels a bit more. You say controlled, but yeah. it, it feels more planned out, more tightly plotted than maybe what Dickens sometimes feels. Yeah. Whereas Victorian authors sometimes, because yes. <laughs> yeah. they got paid by the word, and so sometimes they would write many of them. But in this case, it feels like he had a very clear idea from early on what he was doing yeah. with a, the with a story. So, great stuff. Read it if you have any interest in all in Dickens and you haven't read it yet. Yeah. All right. So we're to this year's book. So now, yes, officially, actually, the, the books that were nominated and read in 2021. So it, the first was a novella by Robert Louis Stevenson called Olala. Oh, la, la. Which I had never heard before, but it was in my little Black Penguin collection. I was going to say, I'd never heard of it either before you nominated which it. Which is interesting because you think of like Treasure Island and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is also kind of gothic. That's true. Because this, so this is kind of, some people say, an early vampire story. Yeah. And the, it's, I mean. The word vampire is never used in it, but it deals with this family of ancient secrets and. And degenerate, the kind of. Degenerate bloodlines. And there's sort of this, uh, I think the mother, like, eats some blood. It, it's, yeah. it's super gothic, and it's it's another example of, like, the main character is completely, like, enthralled with this woman and kind of knows he shouldn't be, mm-hmm. which is kind of a theme throughout a lot of literature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Greek, um, Greek myths in general. Yeah. I have to admit, this is one, so we read this beginning of last yeah, it's year. Very, it's very old now. Yeah, I, I don't know that I have a lot of thoughts. I was hoping, this is one downside, since we used to type up our thoughts on in the forum, now oh, yeah. we've been using Marco Polo, but it's harder to access the really old ones That's I true. found, so I, I wasn't able to really refresh my memory of what I thought of some of this. I remember liking it, I, mean, I think Janelle and I, because we read these books together a lot of the time, um, we read it together in like one sitting. And it was old language, but also very, it kept your attention. It, it was really very did. evocative. Yes. Like, it was very good at getting that sense of the place and the 
kind of the gothic nature of everything. And I remember the end being kind of fascinating because Olala, who's kind of the, the beautiful daughter of this vampire family, she's trying desperately to be different. Like she, there's a Christian, all kinds of Christian imagery and stuff. For some reason, just like did the like the priest cross thing. Guys, you can't even see. I don't know why. Because at the end, there's this scene where she's sitting there and some religious place trying to say like, "You need to go away." I'm trying to be. Anyways, fascinating novella or long short story. Yes. Obviously, it's kind of obscure, but if you like kind of gothic literature, it's certainly worth it. And if you like Robert Louis Stevenson, because he he's he's a very vivid author. Yes. I feel like he mm-hmm. paints imagery with words really well. Yes, I would agree with that. After that was The Green Ember. The Green Ember. This was kind of unusual for this particular year. It was our, I think, well, I guess technically Ursula Le Guin. She's technically a YA author, but this is an actual recent YA book. Yes. uh, Which we had not heard of. This is one that our friend Greg had nominated. Mm -hmm. It feels akin to Redwall, although I I remember reading that the author hadn't actually, wasn't actually that familiar with Redwall, which surprised me. It's rabbits and other creatures. In kind of a fantasy setting, semi medieval. I guess these. This is actually from an independent publisher mm-hmm. that they uh, they got they found success by marketing to homeschool conventions, yeah. uh, which I can totally see because this this is definitely influenced. Whether or not it's influenced by Redwall, it is certainly influenced by Lewis and Tolkien. Yes, my memory of again, this is still kind of old too. Is that it took me a while to really connect with it, mm. like. It wasn't bad or anything, but it just took me a long time. Like, I felt like the last third, I think, is when I find, like, oh, I like these characters. They f- feel like they're unique and they're... Well, the problem I recall is that the book tries to keep some secrets for too long. That's true, too. I remember that, yeah. Like, so it has, it's about these two kids that uh, they get chased out of their home and they, get, they find themselves in this new situation. There's this army that's kind of terrorizing the whole countryside. And they apparently have some deep connections to it through their family, but they don't know what it is. But they wind up in this sanctuary area where everybody but them knows about it. And for a long time. For a long time. The whole middle of the book. Yeah. And it gets, it just starts getting a little old. It's like, okay, I can't quite connect to this because we don't know what the secret is that they're keeping from. The middle was a little muddy. Yeah. It's it's actually a tendency I feel like I've observed in other things now, like the... The author having this, like, enjoying having this secret and then holding on to it for a little bit too long. Mm -hmm. Like, no, your audience, the mystery is only interesting up to a point. At some point, your audience needs to be able to connect with the characters and go ahead and do the exposition scene. Not all exposition is bad. Yeah. (laughs) And then by the end, like, I remember liking the ending. I remember thinking, okay, I finally got into this thing. Yeah. It It had a really cool climax. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, definitely has some of those Christian ideas of the world has fallen, but it will be made right someday. And so that was really nice. Yeah, for sure. So The Green Ember by, what was, do you remember the author's name? Uh, unfortunately, I don't offhand. Okay, well, look up The Green Ember. It's a whole series of books, so. Yeah, there's three, four, five. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, then we read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight as translated by Tolkien. Yes, J.R.R. Tolkien himself. And I actually read the version that had Sir Gawain and then it had Orpheo and Pearl. Yeah. Two extra poems. Then I read all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I I think we read from the same similar collection, but I don't think we read the side stories. So I don't know that I'd ever read any version of Sir Gawain. I'd heard of Sir Gawain the Green Knight, but I'm not sure I knew the story before Uh reading this. It's a strange story. I mean, it's Sir Gawain is a knight of King Arthur's Round Table. The Green Knight shows up and asks for a challenge, and Sir Gawain cuts off his head and 
And the Green Knight says, good job. Come to my place next year at the same time. Christmas I'll call your time. head off. Yes, and you shall receive a similar blow. Um, and, of course, this is all told in some kind of pentameter. Or pentam- yeah, it's, some a weird, sort of it's weird verse. English, like a lot of... A lot of repeated constant sounds. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't always rhyme, but uh, but it really emphasizes having similar, con- like lots yeah. of... Um, like alliteration. Alliteration, and, yes. and consonants, which is basically you can put in the middle of the words. True. But I think Beowulf is originally... I think this is a very kind of an old English style. style. Okay. And Tolkien does a... It takes a while to get used to it. We don't read poetry like that much, but as you get used to it, I kind of enjoyed it. Now, you read it out loud, though, right? How was it? <laughs> kind of was like reading a tongue twister in okay. some ways. But, I mean, it was it was fun. I don't know that necess- I don't know if it helped or, or hindered the understanding of what was going on to a great degree. We would generally stop at the end and kind of recap, okay, what just happened? Yep. <laughs> so it's interesting, too, because it's originally the style of when it was kind of a courtly manner of the knights. Um, and so there's this whole plot line about him, like, he stays with this other king looking for the Green Knight. Green Knight. Yeah, because apparently Green Knight didn't give him his address. He's going to go look around, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the king's wife, like, falls in love with him. But he's a very gentleman. So, of course, he doesn't do anything but, like, about everything but. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, like, like, the normal current Christian thing would be, like, no, you leave the room right away. He's like, no, I don't want to offend her. So I'll <laughs> I'll hang out in your bedroom for a while, but I'm not, we're not going to sleep together. We'll just talk. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm very gen- I'm very polite, so I wouldn't dare offend the lady. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really kind of strange. I mean, it's kind of funny, actually, from a modern perspective. Uh-huh. But simultaneously, they do this really interesting juxtaposition of those scenes with, like, this hunting scene mm-hmm. with the king's doing. And those were some, and to me, some of the most um, image-rich scenes that still stick in my head. This sort of back and forth between mm-hmm. the hunting, the hound down, and them. And, and so there's a really nice structure. Like, if you like fancy literature structures, it's more almost about that and the images in the story. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I would have been so in love with the story that I'd take the trouble to, <laughs> to do a translation like Tolkien did, but... I mean, I do feel bad in some ways that those of us who love Lewis and Tolkien really don't read a lot of the same stuff they read mm-hmm. uh, because so much, so much of it just seems archaic to us. Yeah. And yet it had deep meaning for them. And I don't know quite how to reconcile that. But this is a case of that because like, this was interesting on an intellectual level, but I don't know that I really gleaned much soulfully from it <laughs> it was interesting one of the extra poems at the end of the book was very was much more religious overtly it was like a almost like a parable or dream sequence of like the daughter has died i think it was the pearl or whatever that one was called and like the father like dreamed of her and she was talking about no oh, don't worry about me and then there's all this vision of heaven and all this other stuff and that the suffering's okay and hmm. it was pretty interesting it was very it was very religious or oriented Nice. I mean, this is a short one. But I guess, I think, like, if you're into that stuff, you just, you start living this Beowulf, Sir Gawain sort of level of, like, it's a whole different world Yeah. than what we're used to. And, like, Tolkien brings it to us in Lord of the Rings to an extent, but he is not super modernized, but at least is reconciled to English modern taste to an yeah. extent. Yeah, and there's certainly a lot of... Tolkien's own experience that he brings to the Lord yeah. of the Rings that makes it a bit different. So it is it is more of a academic read than like I'm just going to sit down and enjoy this. But right. if you enjoy old poems, yeah. <laughs> 
And interesting, a, a complete coincidence that there was like this indie movie based on the Green Knight that also came out this year. That was not was this one that Nathan had nominated? Yes, and he I think he watched. I thought he went, was pl- hoping to see the movie. I don't know okay. if he did. I because I, I know he nominated. This is not the first time he had nominated it. Yeah, the book. So we'd been meaning to read it. it. Had nothing to do with the movie. I haven't seen it. I know it was super artsy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's any good or not, but. <laughs> Anyway, after that was Ursula Gwen, The Tombs of Atuan, which is a sequel to A Wizard of Earthsea, which we read a number of years which ago. Which is actually the very first book we read for this book That's club true. back in, I want to say, 2016. And this is a very different book than that. It is. Uh, Wizard of Earthsea takes place all over Earthsea the, about a main character named Ged who's becoming a wizard and dealing with this inner darkness, which we've probably we've probably referenced it at some point. But this book, Tombs of, how do you say, Atuan? I, I say Atuan, but I don't know if that's right. It could be. I, I don't remember. I, I think we said Atuan sometimes, but yeah. Anyway, it's, it's all about a girl who lives basically in the same place for most of the book. It's basically a rundown temple temple that she's like the priestess the, the priestess of death in some way the death cult yeah yeah so yes it's very much more narrow in scope it's very narrow and it's very by when i say dark i don't mean like it's violent or anything but like a lot of the setting is just in darkness oh yeah like because she spends a lot of time in the tombs of a two and and the and the labyrinth underneath and, and she has to memorize it because like light is not allowed down there yeah. and it's it's fascinating because first off ursula gwen's a very good writer we might mention this as a podcast, but it's fascinating to read because you don't know this death call, whether we're supposed to believe that these gods are real or whether it all is just tradition that's been going on too long. Yeah. Um, and then Ged shows up from the first book, like two-thirds of the book. It's pretty yeah. late. Uh-huh. And he kind of brings light into her world. Her world is completely closed off. Yeah. And he brings light into it. and, and Like literally and metaphorically. Like basically... All these things that she had just kind of gone along with, suddenly she has an outsider like to kind of challenge those perspectives. And it is an interesting choice. I don't know. Maybe we're giving yeah. a little bit too much away here. And if so, you can skip ahead like a minute or so. But as a Christian, it's almost like this, the whole like calling out a false religion thing. Yeah. Because on the one hand, it's like casting doubt on all these things you believe before, but it's not as if the religion is a complete fake. Is get is like, no, you guys are serving actual beings, but they are not. They are some dark beings here. They're not good. <laughs> You're basically worshiping demons of some sort. It's interesting. So I read at some point that Ursula Gwynn's father was an anthropologist. Okay. So I think that's where we get a lot of the, She has a lot of interest in old cultures and tribes and... Yeah, I reviewed on here one time, Always Coming Home, which is yeah. very anthropology. <laughs> I think that came out in on the sidetrack, actually, the last, last oh, yeah. year. Yeah. So anyways, first off, it's a very well-written story. Second off, some of the layers of meaning of light and dark and growth and religion. I mean, it certainly is a literary book, but mm-hmm. it's an entertaining literary book. It's not like, oh, it's reading Sir Gawain. It's like... It's a good fantasy book. Yeah, it really is, and it's and it's not super long. It's no. like like I said, it's very focused and very tightly done. So so something it's, like one hundred fifty pages or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, it was very enjoyable. I enjoy. I'm glad we read it. Yes, been too long since we had gone back to Earthsea. Although I kind of feel like we need to go back because we saw so little of Earthsea in that book. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yep. <laughs> After that was at the back of North Wind by George MacDonald. This is one sadly I did not get to. This was great. I really enjoyed this book. So the North Wind 
is both a girl. It's personified. There's it's basically this lady okay. who's the North Wind, and we'll pick up this the main character, the kid called his name is Diamond. That's his name. Okay, take him on adventures and stuff. But the farther they get into it, so the North Wind also represents basically suffering, hard times, because the North Wind's always that bitter cold that comes from the north. Okay, but if you're at the back of the North Wind, you're good. But you're behind it. Oh, okay. So anyways, you have all these adventures and there's a lot of, there's a lot of different things about suffering and the good that comes from it. She's like, I had to go wreck the ship. He's like, why are you going to go kill all those people? Like, well, I've been told to do it. And she does it. And then later on, you learn that like it causes this guy to repent and this, hmm. but at some point the actual back of the North wind is she takes him all the way North and as far as she can go. And she, he goes in and it's basically like heaven and he just spends a long time there. And when he comes out, He's very different and like nothing, he has this calm, this peace about him that everyone else kind of says is like him being, they think he's sort of an idiot because he just doesn't worry about things. And it brings up that idea that you see in like, well, in The Idiot by Dostoevsky and other places, that this sort of holy idiot that they're so good that everyone else thinks they're dumb, but they just, <laughs> because they don't work like the world works. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And this all sounds very heavy, but it's also basically just written like a fairy tale. Sure. There's there's some weird dream sequences. There's a lot of like nursery rhymes that are like he repurposes okay. for various things. It's a little disjointed. It's still like very episodic. This sounds very George McDonald. I've I've never read a full novel of his, but I do have a friend of mine give me a, a collection of some of his fairy tales. Okay. So I've read a number of those and yeah, it sounds kinda like that. So so I've read Fantasties, Lilith, and this. Uh this is by far the most accessible in the sense of like it it really is written much more for kids in the sense it's mm. it's more for fun i mean lilith and fantasties especially lilith has a lot to do with sorrow too and the meaning behind it and that there is a deep meaning in suffering okay um, but lilith is very abstract I, lilith is it's great but it's rough okay um this is much more accessible <laughs> and i really enjoyed it i wish someone else had read it because i i, I kind of wanted to talk to someone about it but it was good so I would highly recommend it. Um, it might be a great first McDonald if you're not read. I mean, I've only read those three. Hmm. Um, but I think it's some of it is a little like, what is, you know, this is a weird dream sequence or this is weird. This is a whole dream when they go to the moon and they go inside the moon and there's this person who's supposed to be like sweeping around and they check all the windows and it's interesting. And so the most abstract of the fantasy books that we've talked about, because I guess a lot, I hadn't thought about this until just now, but a lot of the books that we picked this year were fantasy related That's in some true. way between Sir Gawain and the Green Ember and but yeah it, yeah I mean it's very episodic it's very a little more abstract just because it's that old okay but his imagery is amazingly good like the way he describes the North Wind feels like something you'd use for a script for a movie at this point cool I mean just the long flowing hair and she'd shrink and get bigger and you're like well that's kind of common sense now but back in when he's reading it or yeah. writing it, I'm like wow it was, it's pretty cool yeah it's very image in good like you know, kind of fantastical. Evocative. Sense. Evocative kinda. stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Cool, cool. Well, those were our book club selections. We uh, we kind of skipped November, December this year because uh, I was still recovering from play and plus yeah, holiday stuff. We were swamped. swamped stuff, yeah. yeah. So we'll see what we, uh, we got some Shakespeare that's on deck for the beginning of this year. Yep. So you can look forward to that in January, 2023, Lord willing. Should yes. <laughs> Let me shout out two nonfiction books. One, we've mentioned a couple of times, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. These are not from the book club. These no. are just books you read in 2021. Yeah. I just want to throw that out because if you like philosophy and culture and how we got here from a Christian perspective, 
it's dense. But again, like we've said, it's influenced how we thought about stuff. <laughs> and I haven't even read yeah. this thing. And just we've listening about death to it. works and you know all this other stuff. Yeah, it's been great food for conversation. And it one, I'll throw just throw one more random one out there. I read this book called um, "A Swim in the Pond in the Rain." Okay. Um, and it's a famous writer slash like literature teacher. He takes five or six Russian short stories, like the top Russian short stories by these different authors. And you read it, and then he just kind of talks about writing and life based on the story. Hmm. And if you're at all kind of a writer or just creative or like to just think, it was really thoughtful. First off, the stories are great. First time I got to read The Nose by Gold Gold, and The Nose is a great story. If you don't know. <laughs> the Nose. The Nose. It's a story about this guy. He wakes up, and he finds like a, he's lost his nose. Okay. Like someone else wakes up, there's a nose in a sandwich. And he tries to get rid of it. And this, the other guy wakes up, he, his nose is gone. And he keeps looking all around and he finds his nose. And his nose is like at church doing something like he's a person. It's the weirdest, <laughs> most wonderful Russian story ever. Okay. It was very good for Russian stories. And the guy's commentary, especially if you're a writer, but I don't think it would have to be, is very interesting. And I, I, I don't know. It was an interesting book. Those are my two nonfictions for the, for the year. I read a lot of other random stuff, a lot of school stuff, some Star Wars, et cetera. But I thought those were different enough from what we normally talk about on here that I want to just throw them out for anyone who might be interested. Cool. I think that's our episode, Nick. All right. Then, um, Tim, tell us how people can get a hold of us or watch watch us. Yeah. <laughs> Not watch yet. Well, you've mentioned it earlier in this episode. DerailedTrains at gmail.com is our email address. Our website is still... <laughs> currently derailed trains of thought.blogspot.com you can comment there it's an old school website but it, it it functions yes although i i don't know nick do you want them to give send in their answers for once upon a sentence on the website or should it, that just come through the email let's just do email so we're not influencing anyone else okay okay yeah. fair enough so we'll make sure we actually check that next time yes <laughs> um, of course we also are present on twitter and facebook so if you would like to follow us like us there that'd be great also help us out give us some five star reviews or some positive reviews on um your podcatcher of choice yeah, share, share it with your friends with a grandma with your next door neighbor anyone who likes stories yes which is literally everyone exactly so share it around spread the love we would appreciate it of course we are on apple Podcasts, stitcher and spotify uh, maybe somewhere else. We who knows who has our, our yeah, feet. Exactly, um, Tim. I think there's this magic shop here. Okay, I, I thought we might go check it out. We had, we hadn't really even paid no, much we, attention we just, to the we town. We're so excited about 2022 that yes, we just we, straight, we, we forgot we, to describe. Let you people know what we were, what we were seeing here in Port Haven. Well, well, I mean, at least I was just enjoying the salt air and the seagulls and this beautiful kind of medieval looking town it's very colorful very I, colorful. I, I have to say but there's this cool magic shop i thought we might stop at that'd be that'd be cool yeah i, I saw the little like gnomish looking guy that was coming in and out yeah. and helping people with that so yeah I'd, I'd, I'd be down maybe buy some potions i wonder if we can actually bring anything back to indiana no, we should try would the podcast let us do that who knows what the podcast will let us do yeah it's hard to say sometimes but meanwhile before before we uh, leave you folks i do want to give you my soundtrack yes please so I I looked up online just to see some idea get some ideas for games that you could do a pacifist run because there's a number of games where doing a pacifist run where you're purposely setting out to not kill anyone is a special challenge you can get achievements for it if it's now in some games it's not 100% possible and may have like a boss or something that you have to kill in order to to advance 
Undertale is well known for having a pacifist mode where you thing where you can try to you make go friends through, with all the enemies. Make friends with all the enemies. Yeah. At least that's what I hear. But I wound up going with a remix from a game called Mirror's Edge, which is a first person parkour game. It's not a first person shooter, it's a first person parkour. Now you can use weapons in this, but downside of that is that you're uh since it's parkour, you want to have your hands free, yeah. you know, to grab a ledge or swing down a, a zip line or something like that. So you can. Now the ending, I guess too, it's not a final boss fight, but I guess in the ending the main character like swings into a flying helicopter and knocks the bad guy out in order to save a hostage basically so not a perfect choice but still close yeah (laughs) and uh this song is called clear reflections it is by sir nuts and it's just kind of a nice uplifting trance to close out our episode today sounds great hope you all enjoy until next time this is tim this is nick bye-bye adios